0: So, and then when someone's shooting at you, that's a pretty red zone scenario. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I would yeah. say.
0: Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The rational neocortex ra- brain thinking is just gone. You're way down in reptilian primitive brain at that point. So you need to keep it very, very simple. So it's just breathe in get to the count of four. So one, two, three, four. Hold. Two, three, four. Breathe out. Two, three, four four hold two three four and then you
1: repeat welcome to rx chill pill the podcast that strengthens your resilient mind every time you listen to the extraordinary stories expert tips and meditations to elicit your relaxation response the antidote to your stress response i'm dr juna i'm a physician and mom specializing in mind body and lifestyle medicine find out more about me My personalized online courses on procrastination and mindset coaching for kids, teens and adults at mindbodyspace.com. Today, I'm so excited to sit down with Dr. Leslie Koenig, author of Stress Relief Survival Guide, Fast, Easy, Totally Natural Techniques and Real Life Tips from a Combat Veteran ER Doctor. We talk about why she, a Naval officer, mom of two kids and an ER physician, Turn to meditation and stress relief techniques for her own personal life as well as for her patients' lives. She goes through a few techniques with us at the end, so stick around. This one is full of practical tips you can use right away to relieve your own stress. The RX Chill Pill Podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. So please consult with a physician or other professional health care provider for health-related issues, mental or physical. Hi, Leslie! Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for coming. I
0: am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I couldn't be more excited.
1: I'm so excited to have you here. (laughs) You have your day off, you said. Yes, I do. Yeah. Emergency docs like you guys are on 12 off 12. Is that how it goes now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do either 10 hour shifts or 12 or, or 10 hour shifts. And I tend to do a string of those in a row because I work all nights so oh I tried. God.
1: A- you work only nights.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> I, w-
1: I would go insane.
0: <laughs> I trialed it at first, oh. and then I realized um, just how much more freedom it gave me, uh, more time with my family, and I worked out more, and it was just more of a reliable schedule.
1: Wow! So, for me. so you only work at night. Hmm. Yeah, Leslie, you are an emergency medicine physician in Omaha, Nebraska.
0: Yep, that's right.
1: How long have you been an attending physician?
0: Oh, oh, gosh. Um, Let's see. I graduated residency in 2012, so about, you know, since then. Um, I've been in Omaha now for uh, four years. Oh, where are you from
1: originally? uh,
0: Well, (laughs) uh, originally I'm from Iowa. um, Okay. uh, But then when I joined the Navy, I moved around a bit. So
1: right, the Navy, I right. was gonna yeah. ask you about that. So Leslie Koenig, MD, is an emergency room physician, and she, prior to that, you were deployed in Afghanistan, I was in the Navy.
0: I was, yeah, that was in um, 2013.
1: Wow, mm-hmm. so that was after medical school or you did medical school for the Navy?
0: It, yeah, so they paid for my medical school. So I did college like normal, um I took a year off to work in um a microbiology lab and then when I applied to medical school there was a scholarship called the Health Profession Scholarship Program
1: mm-hmm. and it's
0: kind of like a medical ROTC where you are um a reservist when you're in school they pay for your school they um you know but but instead of doing weekends um I did kind of like a once a year I would kind of push all my time together and do some active duty time Uh, during my time off
1: in medical school so they paid for everything so while everybody was just vegging out like (laughs) you you were doing your (laughs) you're doing your Navy training Uh, part yeah part-time you know some of the time (laughs) (laughs) I mean I can't imagine that that's a vacation really (laughs) Well, you know, it is <laughs> it
0: is what it is, you know. Um, let's say year one, I had to go to Officer Indoctrination School. So that was after my first year of medical school. So, so are you
1: an officer uh, automatically when you're an MD, right?
0: Right, yeah, because uh-huh. I already had my, my college degree, which typically um, an officer will have their college degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. when I went to medical school, yeah, then I did the Officer Indoctrination School my first summer, which was... Um, Learn to wear the uniform, take a bunch of leadership classes, uh, do a lot of physical training. <laughs> uh, the whole wake up at four in the morning and they're yelling at you, that was what it was like. But for officers. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then second year, it's they. The same, kind
1: of... same for officers too, the yelling?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I... <laughs> so, yeah, first year was um, the Officer Indoctrination of School or OIS. They've changed the name since then. Uh, second year, they basically just said, you know, they understood we had to take step one. So they kind of waved it and said, just as long as you study for step one, that counts as your active duty time. And then third and fourth. Awesome. Yeah. That was such a relief. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so did you decide to go to medical school first or the Navy first? Which one came first? Uh, medical
0: school. And then when I got accepted to medical school, um, I had always wanted to join the military and it was kind of the last opportunity, I think I saw to join. I had always thought about it. Um, and then when I got my acceptance letter, I think at the same time, I got some recruitment information for the military. And I thought, you know, I've always wanted to do it and I don't ever wanna have any regrets. So I went ahead and joined. Um, I talked, my neighbors at the time were act, but they had been active duty army. So I talked to them And I talked to some other people that I knew in the military and I opted to go with the Navy. So, And I'm really, really glad I did.
1: Well, I have to thank you on behalf of the country and as a citizen that you did all this and served our country
0: oh thank you it was my really my pleasure. like a hero
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're females yeah yeah so. <laughs> i love yeah, it yeah it was great <laughs> i mean how many women are in the navy like percentage wise
0: uh it's not a lot and then even among officers it's not a lot um gosh i think officers are like something like the top 10 percent of the navy and then women is only like three percent of that i believe
1: wow. um So, like, if you're in a room, you're, like, one out of how many It's not a lot. It's it's not a lot, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely a male predominance um, in the military, yes.
1: And were you okay with that? Like, what attracted you to serve in the first place?
0: Uh, It was an accumulation of things. The very first time I think I ever thought of it was way back in elementary school, studying just, you know, government and American history, and uh, I was just so impressed with, with the nation that we had. Um, my mother was from Chile, and I had been to Chile a few times. And so I got a taste of what other countries might be like. Mm. And, uh, and then also learning about other countries and what freedoms they did not have. And I just mm-hmm. felt this very big, you know, sense of like, what an amazing country we have. And then mm-hmm. I thought, well, how can I give back to it? Um, More than just pay taxes, more than just, you know, something more personal, something very volunteer. I really got into volunteer work in high school. And so Mm -hmm. the military was an opportunity to combine my love for volunteer work with this amazing country that I know America is and uh, really put my name out there and represent America to the rest of the world by wearing the uniform.
1: So... And you got deployed... Yes, I did. <laughs> ...to Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, How was that? I mean... Well, I requested it. What was that yeah, like? Yeah, I requested You requested I did. <laughs> it. Were you trying to run away from someone? No, not at all. <laughs> I'm just joking. Not at
0: all. <laughs> no, I had an amazing yeah, boyfriend yeah, at the yeah. time who's now my husband. Oh, and, okay. um, Was he in the Navy too? He was in the Marines.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Uh, so with... Um, let's see. Gra- well, going through residency, that was when I did my active duty time. So I met Mm -hmm. so many amazing people and heard so many amazing stories. And I really wanted to be a doctor on the front lines, especially Mm -hmm. since I love emergency medicine, where it's trauma, resuscitation, being really in the thick of it. And many of us actually feel the same way in in the military uh, emergency medicine world. We really want to be out there and doing the emergency thing. And so at that time, A lot of the people had already been through, you know, Fallujah, Iraq at that time. And so I heard all these stories about the amazing things they got to do. And a lot of us, we were volunteering. You know, I want to go to the sandbox. Pick me, please.
1: Um, Wow. Yeah. So did you, uh, were you in active, like, war zones?
0: Not really. As an officer, they protect you very well. Um, Uh I was first in a very small location in Southern Helmand province called Fob Pain or Forward Operating Base Pain. And Mm -hmm. we were there to support operations near the Pakistani border. Um, and that was a lot of drilling every day. So we would, um, I was there with a small uh, platoon of people and we, it was like me, another ER doctor, general surgeon, orthopedic surgeon, um an anesthesiologist Corman. Basically it was called a shock trauma platoon slash forward resuscitative surgical suite. So STP fris And <laughs>
1: and they love acting. I know they <laughs> just do like medical school. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah.
0: So my role was in the shock trauma <laughs> platoon. Uh mm-hmm. we would drill all morning and uh, prepare for any incoming mass casualties or incoming patients. Uh, we had, um, uh, army dust off was there, so we would do drills with them. So loading people on the helicopter and they would go uh, get sent back to the larger bases, such as Leatherneck, Camp Leatherneck. Mm-hmm. So I spent three months at FOB Payne um, and only one time was we, w- that I was there, we had a mass casualty. Other than that, it was mostly seeing your run of the mill, you know, clinic type things. I did see a uh, STEMI mm-hmm. heart attack and I saw a caudaquina while I was there, even though it was a small base.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Do you want to explain for the listeners what catequina Oh, sure, is? sure. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so catequina is a uh, back issue that mm-hmm. requires emergency back surgery by a, either a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic spine surgeon because the risk is that you could be paralyzed from the waist down.
1: So mm-hmm. I saw that in... in and being the, the nerves yes. that come out off the bottom of our spinal
0: right, cord. Right, right. And those had too yeah. much pressure on them. And a patient came to me with the symptoms of it. And so I sent him mm-hmm. out. And then I had a patient with a massive heart attack that was going on uh, who I had to then send out. Usually those kinds of people would go straight to the cath lab with a cardiologist. But in Afghanistan, that was not what we had
1: at our disposal. So we had to make mm-hmm. do with what we had. And the mass casualty that you had, mm-hmm. was that, I assume that was stressful? Well, yes. Did you feel well prepared? I did. Or was it, is it just something that you can't be prepared for?
0: Uh, you prepare as much as you can, and then you improvise mm-hmm. when the chaos hits, because it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. I had another bigger mass casualty when I was at Camp Leatherneck, but the very first one mm-hmm. was relatively small, but it was big for us in our, with our minimal resources. Because uh, we only mm-hmm. had four beds in our trauma resuscitation bay and one bed in the OR, but we had something like six people all come at once. And that was a case of the, um, the ANA, the um, Afghan National Army. They had uh, an IED go off on their convoy and they came in. And mm-hmm. my patient ended up being the most critical. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, again, this was something that we trained for every single day. We were basically training our Corman, uh, you know, the lowest person with the least training, you know, your 18 year old person to be qualified in ATLS. That was our goal was that everybody would be ATLS level because everybody had to be on their game in this scenario. So I really had mm-hmm. faith in my team because we had trained every single day, just going through scenarios and drilling and teaching as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. and then when everything hit, um, you know, we just, we fall back on our training and worked as a team and got everything done.
1: hmm I mean, it's interesting because I have a guest coming on. She's a neuro, um, she's a neuroscientist and she has identified a physiologic correlate that's measurable mm-hmm. for PTSD. Oh, really? And so she and I are, are going to discuss and we started having a conversation about can you prepare yourself? for ptsd but um i mean her conclusion was that you cannot because the reason you get ptsd is because it is so unexpected and so unlike anything that you've prepared for even if you tried Mm -hmm. mentally just doesn't you know guard you from getting ptsd so
0: oh that's i was just
1: wondering what it was like in in the real you know front lines i think well, you weren't in the front lines. No, <laughs> no.
0: It's funny, though, because one of one of my uh, the Marines I was with, I found out years mm-hmm. later, he had PTSD. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, I mean, OK, I guess <laughs> I mean, there were times where we'd be in our rack, you um, sleeping sleeping um, when the alarms would go off and we'd have to get all our kit, you know, get our Kevlar, get our weapons and at three in the morning, go stand in a bunker. And we wouldn't know what's going on. Just all the alarms are going off, and it's, you know, no one knows what's going on. And no one wants to tell you because they don't want to spread panic. So there were definitely times that that happened. But I, I don't know for I don't know if that was like being in battle because there apparently were this was at Leatherneck, though, when we first got in country. Um and I think that was probably the closest to wondering what was going on. Uh, because mm-hmm. you don't know, are the missiles coming this way? Are there RPGs going over the fence? Um, What's an RPG? Uh, a rocket propelled grenade. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And then not only <laughs> that,
0: but uh, about, let's see, in September, so a few months before we got in country, there was the Battle of Bastion where um, some um, Taliban infiltrated the base and mm-hmm. they blew up a bunch of Harrier jets on the other side of the base that we were on. So everyone was still very much on high alert, and there were small skirmishes kind of where they were attacking the base that we were on. So I wouldn't say that I was ever really in battle, but that stuff mm-hmm. is definitely in the back of your mind. Uh, one time I was at Leather, uh, sorry, this would be at Payne. We found out that some of the locals were trying to get under the concertina wire. We didn't know what they were doing. Are they setting bombs? Or are they, what are they doing? Um, what else?
1: What's a concertina wire? That
0: surrounds your base? So, oh, okay. yeah, so the smaller the base, typically the less fortified they are, so the defense Is it like barbed wire It's or like something? barbed wire, just like in a big okay. roll.
1: So, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> wow. You are uh you are somebody I'd like to be with if I was out in the, <laughs> in the wild. Well, I am <laughs> calling you Leslie. <laughs> Plus you have that um Gorgeous bullet. What what are those things called? The little trailer that you oh have? The, the Airstream, yes. Airstream. Why do I call it a bullet? It's, it looks that, like it's, it's, it's aluminum. Bullet? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Which you made so beautiful. Oh, I'm sure that they didn't have all those pastels in in uh, the military. No. <laughs> <laughs> Very much no, no, um, uh-huh. no. But as being a woman, you were single at the time, right?
0: Uh, I was then secretly married
1: <laughs> I, Oh wow. i okay. i
0: eloped with my then boyfriend just before deploying
1: congratulations So yeah we got
0: married and five but, days later i left for
1: afghanistan oh my gosh well so how how is that like being an, a woman in the navy um which i'm sure i think there's less women in the navy than in the army right oh gosh i don't know so, the numbers. yeah i don't know yeah, how how is it with all the men? Like, are they respectful? Like, was it easy? Was it hard? <laughs> Do you not want to talk about it? Well, oh, gosh.
0: I loved my time in the Navy. But yes, it okay. was very male-dominated. Uh-huh. I wouldn't call it stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh Well, actually, mm-hmm. it probably was. It just, it made me feel as a woman that... My concerns were just a little different than the men sometimes there were There were definitely times where I felt singled out as a woman. Um, I wouldn't get invited to, say, go golfing on the weekends. I think they just assumed I wouldn't want to go or something. So, um, you know, all the resident men would go golfing with the attending men, and I was like, "What? Uh-huh. Uh, okay, uh, how did that happen? Because <laughs>
1: these are all physicians,
0: yes, okay. Okay. So little things like that would happen here and there. Uh-huh. Um, I had a lot of trouble finding a female mentor just because there weren't many women mm-hmm. who would stay in the military for very long, and uh, it was just tough to connect with with another woman mentor.
1: So I mean, I have to assume that there there are times when it was stressful. First of all, medical yes. school is stressful. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then to be in the Navy is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It so is. And I... who did you fall back on, like, for your support? Or what did you do for your stress relief?
0: Oh, gosh. I had so many good friends mm-hmm. that I met in the Navy. So okay.
1: So as, men as and a woman, women?
0: Oh, gosh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. A lot of women in the Navy. Um, just my... So I, uh, I showed up as an intern and made friends with a bunch of people. Uh-huh. And then after that year, you know, some go into general surgery, some go into internal medicine, and i maintained friends with all of them and so it was um a really great group where we all kind of just all got onto active duty at the same time and it was this great cohort of people who are my friends to this day nice and so, they're all over
1: the country then all over the world all over the world wow that's yeah. that's pretty cool and mm-hmm. it's not uh, so basically as an officer as a physician you're hanging out with other officers or physicians Yes. So yep. that, that's a lot in common right there, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So after being an ER doctor, I mean, after being in the Navy and being an ER doctor in a clinic or a hospital? Hospital. Now you're a mom of two little girls. Yes. Right? Yes. How old are they?
0: Uh, five and three.
1: Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So cute. And I, I've seen their pictures. They're adorable. Yeah. So and were they the ones who prompted you to write the stress relief book? <laughs> <laughs> so, Leslie, Dr. Koenig just wrote um, a self-published book, right? Right, and it's called the Str- Stat. Wait, can you say it? Uh, Stress Relief Survival Guide. Yes, mm-hmm. and it's on Amazon. It is right. Yep, and you can get your copy there. And so, did were they the reason you wrote that? Or <laughs> no? <laughs> or was it was it
0: being an ER doc? Uh, no, they're probably the reason that I really started to dig into my own stress.
1: Yes, that's where yes. I think that
0: journey started. So I do yes. owe the book to them.
1: Okay. Be- mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I I think you know being a doctor. Yeah, you're just such a high achiever, and you're always putting other people first. In a way, you're always gosh, trying to get the grades, trying to get the hours in. You're trying to get the procedures in. Zero mistakes, be on top of all the literature all the time. You know, sometimes you're teaching at work too, depending on your situation. Mm-hmm. But you're always just, and then, gosh, in the Navy, there's this thing called a fit rep where every year you're graded. So in the Navy, for example, you are trying to do collateral duties. So you're going to more meetings and doing a lot of administration work. Um, oh, when com- you said
1: fit, did you call it fit? A fit rep, uh, a fitness fit- report. Oh, I thought you meant fitness like your physical fitness. Well,
0: that that goes, that goes does play into it. Um, the, you I are- was going to say,
1: they should have that for all doctors. <laughs> right?
0: I mean, We'd it is healthier. a motivating
1: tool to be better yeah. every year. It is. It really is.
0: <laughs> and are you still in the Navy then? No, I've been out now for four years.
1: They basically put you through medical school. And Mm -hmm. then once you serve, did you have to do um, duty in any particular hospital for a while or they let you choose?
0: Oh, gosh, they 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 you can put in your request, but you don't really Mm -hmm. choose. It's really the needs of the Navy come first. Okay, but Mm -hmm. uh, so I I, they paid for four years of medical school. And then for that, I owed four years of active duty time. However, I I then did a residency with the Navy, which accrued additional time. Mm-hmm. So in the end, I did eight years of
1: active duty. I see. Okay. Awesome. Thank you again for serving. Oh, sure. <laughs> so you write this stress relief book because you're, you know, once we have kids, we start to see ourselves, right, interacting with our kids. And then we <laughs> see maybe parts of ourselves that we don't love <laughs> or at least the parts that we don't wish um, were so reactive, right? Because kids bring out so much in us, whether it's worry or, um, you know, love. I mean, it's love, but it's also stress because you worry about them constantly and you're also trying to deal with these little people who you're trying to raise to be good people.
0: Absolutely. So
1: I think sometimes it brings out the worst in us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can. Yeah. absolutely the best in us
0: (laughs) yeah that's so true i was yeah yeah, my kids really made me take a look in the mirror and say what do i want out of life okay Uh, for them for me who do i have to be to be the Uh best for them and also realize how fast they grow and that every day that goes by is a day that's gone and to appreciate the moment and be grateful for all of it uh
1: Well, wow, they're lucky because you're realizing this when they're so young. (laughs) That didn't come from nowhere, though, right? I mean, you had some difficulties in your childhood that led you to want to change and want to be a different parent. That's very
0: true, yes. Do
1: you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Whatever you're comfortable with talking about. Oh, sure, sure. Um,
0: Um, My father was not a very good father. Uh, hmm. He... um, I'm trying to say how I can put this. Well, he was abusive, verbally and physically. And I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, well, my mother recognized what she needed to do when I was about I think 4 or 5 mm-hmm. and kind of whisked us away, but then there was the court battle that ensued with that and we got visitation rights with him, mm-hmm. which was not pleasant for us by any stretch.
1: He was still abusive. He was
0: still abusive. Yes. And he just doesn't have the capacity to understand that what he did was wrong at any point.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And it's been just a lifelong processing of of that. So Mm -hmm. um, it really generated that kind of fighter mentality for me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the because I had a little brother. And so I felt the need to protect him from this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would take the blame. I would get in the middle. Um, and that was just how I saw myself as as trying to fix it. So, But then my mother was a bit bitter for years after that. But then she married my stepdad, who was an amazing person. So so that story. So you had
1: some stability in your life yeah, as, as an yeah. adult. It took but some time, though. It was traumatic, right? Yes. Growing up with your father. Yes. Okay. And um, yeah, so how did you go from that to when you take all of that stress? And um, how did you process that stress as an adult when you decided to go to the Navy or medical school? Because those are two of some of the most stressful things you can do. (laughs) So having grown up in this abusive home, Mm -hmm. and then not processing it because I know you didn't have help, right? You didn't have psychotherapy. You didn't have any help from anybody. Did um, any of the adults know this was happening other than your mom or?
0: Uh, no, my mom was the one who knew. And then, and then ultimately my dad just stopped wanting to see us. Um, Oh,
1: which is also traumatic, I'm sure.
0: (sighs) I don't know if I really cared at that point because it had been so much.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: I. I don't. I just don't remember missing him. I did at mm-hmm. first. I think you know when I didn't understand what was going on.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, in time, I just kind of. It just was. It. It just was. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't like I missed seeing him. Right. So I didn't really care. I guess I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's rough. I mean, especially when you're in that kind of situation, then you're kind of numb, right?
0: Oh yeah. And I was numb no. for a long time, and uh-huh. and that was what carried into adulthood was this kind of it was an adaptive thing that I had at the time. It was what I needed was to be very thick skinned, put my mm-hmm. walls up, uh, mm-hmm. don't and don't show. And should be a fighter, right? Yes, yeah. Like Go
1: into the navy.
0: Yes, yes, even right. Yeah. So, so that's the thing about looking back on it now. You know, however many years later, is. I'm trying to work through it and see, yes, this turned me into who I am. And mm-hmm. I am proud of who I am today. Mm-hmm. So looking back on it, for the longest time, I was extremely angry. And that's, I'm still angry about a lot of it. But I'm trying to process mm-hmm. that because I don't want to have that negativity in my life. And it's really right. the way I look at it in my mindset to 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 look at it. But the fact is, is that it did make me who I am. It did mm-hmm. propel me to do these things that I'm very thankful for and very proud of. And it led me to the life that I'm living, which mm-hmm. I wouldn't change for anything. So to change mm-hmm. any of mm-hmm. my past would be to change who I am now. And I wouldn't want that.
1: And the anger basically gave you the strength at the time. It was useful for you. It
0: was, yes.
1: To propel you forward in all of these professions that you pursued.
0: Yes, yep. yeah. And then anytime I face adversity, it would be that feeling of, I can do this. I've been through the pain, I have suffered, I know that I can do this, I know I'm strong enough. And even when as a kid, I was really shy, and so I didn't have a lot of friends as a kid that I could talk to about it. And Mm -hmm. and then even when I tried to open up to someone, it was like, ew, icky, that's too yucky, mushy. And so Mm -hmm. I just learned, don't talk about this stuff, because people don't want to hear it. They look at you funny. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. held it in for the longest time. And... I just continued with my adaptive behaviors that in time once I had kids I think really the kids put that mirror up to my face of like the, the anger and the dealing with it and and just you know gritting my teeth through difficult things maybe there was a diff- different way to approach it mm-hmm. instead of rage and anger so
1: uh-huh and you mean by the adaptive uh, behaviors? You mean the angry behaviors?
0: Yeah, the angry, the the, the, the lack of vulnerability, showing mm-hmm. any emotion ever, um, admitting mm-hmm. weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. As a kid, that wasn't really met with anything positive. Mm. Uh, to admit weakness or to to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, I felt like as a child when I did do that, I would just suffer. So I learned, mm-hmm. okay, don't don't show emotion, don't be vulnerable, don't ask for help. Cause you're not going to mm-hmm. get it and they're not going to care and you're not going to get love. So I, and again,
1: you went into the two professions where you can't show <laughs> vulnerability. <laughs> it's not a, uh, you know, I guess you were well fit for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then maybe not so much for two little girls.
0: Right. And and I would see these <laughs> other people through my course of my life who did uh-huh. what I was doing, but they did it with such compassion. You know, people okay. who were in the Navy, but they would rely on their friends for help. They did have their mm-hmm. walls down and their vulnerabilities open to the world. And they were mm-hmm. amazing people. And mm-hmm. I almost envied it, but I also just couldn't understand for the longest time. So again, yeah, you know, even people in the military, they'll be vulnerable with each other. They will be open up and share. And then, you know, same thing with, you know, doctors. Um, I had people who told me that they would hug their patients, and I thought, oh, what? you hug your patients. And I just could not understand that. I did not.
1: I didn't see much of that in New York training either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it depends on the culture you're in, I guess. But yeah. I, I, I at least saw other people doing it with such compassion and uh, it made me feel like, oh, there is another way to live this life with mm-hmm, with more mm-hmm. happiness and with more peace, really. Instead of always fighting and always fighting. And I, I felt like I got to a point where um, the always fighting adversity just got to be more stressful than helpful. Mm-hmm. So that's where some of this stress relief searching to, to fix myself
1: mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. started. Or to help yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So I saw this meme the other day, which was pretty funny. And one of the mom... I think it was a physician mom group, mm-hmm. and it, it was like, did you ever realize the windows were open when you were yelling at your kids? <laughs> 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 but um, yeah, definitely, as a mom, you start to realize, is this the kind of mom I want to be? Right? Oh yeah. Do you? Um, so when was did you have like a moment where you said, I'm really going to start working on myself? Or
0: I think I've. Oh, gosh, I don't know. It's hard to say that because I've always tried to work on myself somehow. Uh, you know, either
1: but on the softer, on the, the softer, softening yourself, softening yeah, softening myself. Because I feel like that's what you're doing now. Like you're softening your walls. I you're think trying to help other people too. That's to true. Do that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I'd say it probably did start well the second I saw my daughter because. Mm-hmm. I never believed in love at first sight until my daughter was born. And Mm. the minute I pulled her up, I knew instantly this life that I've had before is gone. And a whole new one is blossoming in front of me. Mm. And I need to be... The love I feel right now, I want to keep this going. And I, I, I still have to force myself sometimes to not deny love to my kids because I've been so used to bottling up that emotion.
1: Mm. And Can you explain that a little more? That's interesting.
0: Um, like when my kids want to hug, uh, sometimes I'll say, no, 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 I'm busy. Mm-hmm. And as much as I can, I try to continue. I, I try to accept their love because I know there's going to be a day when they won't be this open. And I don't ever want to start closing off the possibility of showing that love. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. So, but you physically have that habitual sort of no, no, not right now kind of thing. It's in my mental memory. Uh
0: Yes, because I can sometimes start thinking of myself and my to-do list and my planner mind and I need to go accomplish this thing.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: So with my kids, um, um, I just always want them to know 100% of the time that I love them 100% of the time. There were times in my life where I did not feel love at all from my parents. And I want to give my kids everything I have.
1: So I know you found uh, your first meditation technique during hypnobirthing. Yeah. Yes. Tell us about that. Your doula. You had a doula? I had a
0: doula. um, A friend of mine said you should get one because they help your husband. <laughs> and I thought that was great because it's like, well, that this kind of makes sense. You know, the, everyone's there to help me and my husband's there to help me, but he's never been through this before either. Wait, so, is he a physician, um, did I, you tell me? No, he's not. He's definitely not a physician. Cybersecurity. Uh-huh. So he has no idea with the medical side of things. When I, I asked my OB for recommendations and she had told me one doula mm-hmm. and that doula uh, advised that on base, there was this free class for hypnobirthing, mm. which I thought, you know, Lamaze, the breathing techniques. But she said the hypnobirthing was that plus
1: more visualization.
0: V- and Yeah. And so one of the tactics was or sorry, the techniques was visualization. There were different meditations and mantras and it was nothing I had ever done before. I think at that point I tried meditation once uh-huh. and found it super boring. <laughs> I just thought, this is not for me. I'm a very type A <laughs> person. Meditation
1: cannot help me at all. So if this all this meditation that they're doing for like Army and Navy, it's not reaching you guys? Uh, it did, It never reached me when I was okay. active duty.
0: Yeah, it never uh-huh. got to me. Um, no, not until, well, the thing is I was active duty when I did the hypnobirthing that was offered on the base that I was at
1: mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm.
0: so I took it and we had to go with our spouses to the class on base and they would do some of the visualizations during the class and yeah. there was one that I thought was super stupid because I was very <laughs> just like no I'm not getting into any of this like crunchy granola <laughs> patchouli hippie stuff but I'll try it just and what convinced me honestly was uh-huh. my doula said that um, a helicopter pilot that she had trained uh-huh. did uh-huh. it. And she uh-huh. said this helicopter pilot was able to give birth with zero medication. Ooh! And so for me, that was like, okay, sign that me sounds, up.
1: That sounds very <laughs> unpleasant to me.
0: Well, it was just for me, it was that competitive, like, well, if she did it, if a helicopter pilot can do it, then I'm going to go out and do it too. So that's what convinced me. That's just, that's how
1: to get me going. So. <laughs> so you had no medications? Well,
0: I got induced, which mm. is the most painful mm-hmm. thing i've ever endured in my life uh oh, thank I'm god sorry. for uh, epidurals
1: uh-huh so same here same yep. thing yep um yeah you loved hypnobirthing mm-hmm. so even though you got an epidural it helps you a lot some some, some. okay yeah but you realize that there's this whole like mental um faculty that maybe you could use more of the visualizations and the relaxation
0: Yeah. Yeah. My biggest issue was always falling asleep. Uh, My brain is just always racing, Mm -hmm. especially at night. Yeah. I used to have to do so many different Uh methods with sleep hygiene and um, tactics that just weren't working Mm -hmm. for me very much. And I didn't want to be on medication. So I was trying to find any natural thing I could to sleep. And I found that this technique helped me sleep. So that was really what got me hooked to to trying
1: these awesome so which technique the visualization the visualization and technique. did you use an audio or did you have your own
0: I did an audio um it came with a breathing package so I, I did the audio and then it worked awesome for about um a year and a half the same exact audio the same
1: audio over yeah. and over over and, How and long over was it?
0: <laughs> I think it was like 10 10 to 15 minutes and
1: it was a woman's voice Mm, yes, and it just it just put you to sleep for a year and a half. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, that's better it than was like, like this
1: sleep medication because you would have gotten, mm-hmm. um, you would have had to increase your dose by then.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's that's what I loved about it is, and I could also do it if even if I couldn't listen to it, uh-huh. I could again run through it in my mind because it was um, this concept of you're you're going through a rainbow. Uh So you're surrounded by purple and then you're surrounded by blue and you breathe in the blue and you're surrounded. Would you lead us through it? I do not remember it at this point. Oh, you don't? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: don't remember. (laughs) So I would love for you to do um, a couple of stress management tactics with me right now. Sure. sure, I can do something. I could use it just as much as anyone else. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Oh, so in your book, you separate it out very cleverly into very stat and like, I guess, medium stress and then (laughs) low level chronic kind of stress that kills you one day. (laughs) So being an emergency room physician, so what would you do for somebody who's like in the ER in that moment like surreal you know when you feel like it's surreal and you can't believe it's happening <laughs> yeah that kind of moment what would you do for them
0: uh so that sounds like kind of a red zone area which is red, the, yeah
1: yeah, the higher yeah you separated into th- colors right
0: i did yeah orange yeah yeah sorry yellow orange and red uh red being the most critical uh-huh uh so usually when people are in red i have three different techniques But my absolute favorite, hands down, is the one
1: called Paced Breathing. Can you lead me through it? Is this like the box breathing, like the Marines? I love that Uh, one. Yeah. My daughter and I just did it this morning, but please lead me through it. Okay.
0: Sure, sure. So what you do is uh, usually when people are very highly stressed, they're breathing too quickly and they don't even notice it. And this Mm -hmm. leads to things like panic attacks or hyperventilation. And that can lead to some of that dizziness, lightheadedness, uh, hands cramping, uh, Scenario. So, what you need to do is, is control the breathing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually have a, f- uh, a friend named Jason Gardner. He was a Navy SEAL who was telling me how he did it under fire one time. Wow. He was a sniper and was getting attacked. So, that and is he-
1: very powerful. Oh yeah, he Very said that. Powerful.
0: Yep, and he was doing his job as a sniper when someone is shooting at him, Holy and cow. he was unable to hold the the weapon because he was breathing too fast. Mm. And so he recognized immediately, my breathing is the problem here, and if I don't control my breathing, I will die. Literally. Mm-hmm. So he used the same technique of controlling his breathing. And, and do he they teach to... them to
1: do that? And the they Navy do. Seals? Yeah. Okay. They
0: do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they do all kinds of training. I mean, I don't I, I, don't know if they're privileged to say all of it, but, you know, what he told me is that his breathing as a sniper is very critical. And so mm-hmm. he had to learn to control it. Mm-hmm. So and then when someone's shooting at you, that's a pretty red zone scenario. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I would yeah. say. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it's really easy to do. Okay, uh, so which pretend is something- that
1: I'm the person. And and so honestly, if somebody's in the red zone, you're not going to be like, okay, stop stressing. Right. You're not going to talk work. to them with words. right? Right. Okay. So pretend that I'm like way out there.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. The rational neocortex brain thinking is just gone. (laughs) You're way down in reptilian primitive brain at that point.
1: Yes. So you need to keep
0: it very, very simple. So it's just breathe in Mm -hmm. to the count of four. So one, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, breathe out, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four. And then you repeat. In two, three, four. Hold two, three, four. Out
1: two, three, four. Hold two, three, four. Nice. And then as
0: your breathing slows more and more, what you can actually do is lengthen the exhalation time. So you would count out six.
1: Let's try one of those. Ready?
0: Okay. Sure. Okay. So breathe in two three four hold two three four breathe out two three four five six hold two three four in two three four etc
1: very nice and can you mm-hmm. just keep lengthening it up to eight you can 10? yep
0: yep you want it yes <laughs> Um. Well, what that does is it slows the heart rate down. So, or sorry, the uh, breathing rate down, mm-hmm. uh, and that really calms down that vagal response in the body. So it's um, in it, that whole parasympathetic part of the nervous system. With breathing, is is one of the quickest ways to really calm it down, to calm down the heart rate, to calm down the is, is to calm down the breathing rate. Mm-hmm. So, because that's so cycle. Andrew
1: Weil has that four, seven, eight breath where you oh, inhale he does. for four, okay. hold for seven, mm-hmm. and exhale through purse lips for eight. Oh, Do that's you a care good one, if you exhale through your lips or your nose? I always say nose. Just because if you're like I, in public, you start breathing out through your mouth and like whistling, <laughs> people are going to be kind of annoyed with you.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's best and it also
1: slows it down i'm sorry yeah it It does it it does
0: yeah i mean the nose is an organ almost entirely just for respiration right a mouth is an organ that breathes also (laughs) however it's also involved with eating and other things and and you tend to breathe through your mouth when you're doing things of high stress so like if you're running a lot of people will breathe through their mouth Mm -hmm. so um i have heard that breathing through the nose there's different receptors in there that send to the brain like okay we're using this part of the body which is a signal To the brain itself that this is a calming scenario calming environment because the nose is being utilized as opposed to the mouth
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. okay so that was a nice one uh what else is your favorite in the red zone give us maybe one or two more just because people are in the red right now you know there's so much red going on
0: (laughs) yeah uh let's see in the what's your favorite for yourself That's my favorite for myself in the red zone. There's only the three that I have in the red zone. Oh, okay. Um, Well, the other one is if you're having a panic attack and you cannot control your breathing at all, there's always a brown paper bag. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) And that's like if the breathing is much too intense. So breathe into the bag so that you don't hyperventilate. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm yeah there is there is um i didn't get into it in this book but there is the whole um there's something called polyvagal theory Mm -hmm. where there is something even beyond fight or flight and that's freeze which i didn't get into in my book because it's kind of beyond the scope of that Mm -hmm. but in that case people freeze Mm -hmm. and they don't do anything they almost go like comatose just uh body stops moving Mm -hmm. almost paralyzed can't move and in that case, um, what I found is a technique called noting, mm. um, where you're still aware of everything going on and you're not exercising any particular technique and not so much breathing, but you're holding on to reality mm-hmm. by anything that's entering your perception. You just make a mental note of it. Mm-hmm. So sitting here, for example, I could say laptop mm-hmm. window pressure, heat, mm-hmm. cold, Breath in, talking, mm-hmm. just kind of mentally note, and just so you can kind of hold on to something that's in a very neutral way, and kind of stimulating so your one...
1: cognitive um, cortex. And right. with the, I think the therapists call that like anchoring, so you can start to mm-hmm. anchor yourself in yes. the reality of the the moment. Yes, whether it's visual yep. or smell, yep. any of your senses, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep.
0: And anchoring is a great tool for just about any place that you're at. But I found that it really works well when you're in the freeze mm-hmm. part, like you've gone past fight or flight, you are so far gone, you are frozen. Okay. Um, so. <laughs>
1: uh, and what's your favorite orange?
0: Let's see, my favorite orange one, I would say in the book, I call it mirror meditation. And that's kind of a two part one. Uh, that is where you can start by looking in the mirror mm-hmm. and you... Just notice what's going on. You look in your own eyes. It's it's kind of, it's kind literally a self-reflection tool. Sometimes it's hard. Like for me, it's sometimes hard to read my emotions because I've denied them for so long. Mm. Uh, so by looking at yourself, sometimes you see the emotions on the face mm-hmm. and you can then almost start to laugh, which is good yes. because it really releases that. And if there's no te- it's tension with yourself. It's so crazy how much you think like you shouldn't have tension with yourself. But we often do when we look in the mirror. Uh-huh. So, uh, to look in the mirror and just notice that. Um, and then, whether with the mirror or not, just start sending these phrases of compassion, which is um, may you be happy, mm-hmm. may you be healthy, may you be free from suffering, may you live with ease. Mm-hmm. And you can either send these to yourself in the kind of third person, may you, or you could say it, may I. Mm-hmm. And then um, I actually have to do that practice quite a bit. Uh, I found that it helps a lot with my anger, uh, and and with my job, I get a lot of burnout, uh, compassion fatigue. Right. Right. Uh, so I found that uh, I started whenever I wash my hands at work, I say those phrases. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of mirrors. I, I I can go all shift without seeing a mirror. <laughs> So I just do the compassion technique or the compassion meditation.
1: And that's that um, Buddhist prayer with giving compassion to the whole world. Yeah.
0: And you can do that too. So
1: may you be well, all living things. Yes. Yes. And you expand it. uh, Yeah.
0: So you can do yourself to uh, somebody you love, to a neutral person, to someone you dislike and to the whole world. uh Uh-huh.
1: Yes. Yes. And and all living things. And all living
0: things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I guess. Yes. So uh, one of my teachers told me even to your desk, and like <laughs> even inanimate objects. I have not gotten there yet. I got very, very close one day when I was doing laundry and I did feel grateful towards my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and if you know me at all, I used to cry when I had piles of laundry in front of me as if the world was ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a pretty big breakthrough.
0: <laughs> I think that's awesome. I, I mean, really, like um, I got into minimalism maybe a year or two Ooh, ago me too yeah. mm-hmm. well you just been, yeah. you just start to notice the utility of of things and mm-hmm. um gosh there are certain things where it's like man this is a great tool or this
1: is a great thing and it's just something have, that's been so well thought out uh-huh. and just beautifully functional right
0: right yeah it's, it's funny because when i deployed i had a knife that had my name on it oh <laughs> and it is something that like you know, a swiss army knife uh no it's kind of a pocket knife it kind of flips out oh, okay but we used it all the time because we, we lived in tents and when i was at fob Payne, and like mm-hmm. um gosh I, I used it all the time really because you have to cut <laughs> <laughs> we have to like string up uh, blankets between rooms because it was a bunch of us girls in our room. So you have to you have to uh, string things up and tie knots. And then when um, the, the big storms, you know, the big dust storms would come and, and knock down our tents. Wow. So we'd have to pick them up. Wow. So you'd have to cut uh-huh. old, you know, uh, paracord and then um, put up the tent again and then restring everything together. So um, so I had this wow. knife for my deployment that is one of those things that every time I see it, I'm so grateful and so appreciative for the the service it gave me you know
1: yeah exactly and all the people who made Mm -hmm. it all the people who invented Mm -hmm. steel or whatever it's made Yep. (laughs) yeah no
0: it's it's just sometimes things like that um you notice the utility of it when you're when you go more minimal you know your clothes the good pair of shoes just how much they cradle you and and support you in this life it's 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 wonderful
1: yeah so um orange so we just did orange, which is, can you give an example to the listener? Like, what would be orange?
0: Uh, oh, oh, so like like a feeling of how to be an orange, you mean?
1: Yeah, like, let's say somebody <laughs> triggers you, I guess, like if your kid is making a mess. Okay. Right? You might go into orange. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. You're just kind of like, oh, my God, everything about this day is just crashing down. Everything's against me right now. Yeah. Um, Things like- so you're
1: making a mountain out of more, Mo- right? Hill. Yeah, Maybe you catch yourself calling people names or yourself names. Mm-hmm. or
0: Yeah, yeah. You're
1: sort of black and white thinking. You're like, I'm
0: about to lose it, but I'm not losing it just yet. But I am so almost there.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah, I am about to. Seconds. I'm on my last nerve. Yeah, because this is when you send uh, yourself to timeout. Right? Yeah, yeah. This is
0: when you're like, I'm about to throw a tantrum this worth to my child's. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> so then go in front of a mirror. Mm-hmm. You know, that reminds me of something that I used to do with my kids, which they didn't appreciate. But uh-huh. <laughs> but when they would have like a, you know, like be very unreasonable or be reacting or or actually they turned it around on me a couple of times too. So it was fair both ways. Mm-hmm. But I would put the, the iPhone in front of their face and show them what they were looking like yeah. when they were doing yeah. this. Yeah. And it would it would stop you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. And, and they've done it to me, too. So it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's <those ways. laughs> but yeah, that's the that's the recognizing how you look mm-hmm. when you're in that moment. Yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. You just don't have that ability to have the rational introspection at that time because yeah. the stress is so uh, uh, paralyzing the thought processes.
1: But you also brought up like compassion. Uh-huh. Do you feel like that is one of the most important things to work on as far as anger? I think for me and for almost anyone, what do you think? For me,
0: one hundred percent. I yeah. I it's hard to say that someone's too compassionate. Um, I mean, I, I haven't heard anyone say being accused of that. Like, oh, they were too compassionate. Well, how terrible is
1: that? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it brings us relief, right? It
0: does. It, yeah. It's funny how much when you when you're generous with your compassion, mm-hmm. how much better you feel in general. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really surprising to me how uh, at peace I feel on a general baseline level. It's almost like doing twenty minutes of this practice a day. I feel it for twenty four hours. Wow! Um, if not more, and there's some research to back up this, yeah. this practice. So,
1: but also, um, I love how you said to all living things mm-hmm. you know it's not to just my family or just people who look like me or just people who studied medicine yeah <laughs> it's to everyone huh right so yep. i just i love that part
0: yeah and i've heard of people who do this practice but 100 mm-hmm. percent for people they do not like um, what do you
1: mean oh oh Oh, yeah. That's the advanced version when you have to send compassion to people you do not like. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. It's really eye opening, though, when you do that. You start people you don't like seem like villains, you know, Mm -hmm. and then when you start to send them that kind of uh, uh, compassion, you see them as more of a human version and it decreases the stress level in you when you think Mm -hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. So there's a saying something about like anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It's kind of like when there's some famous person that you really hold, uh, you really don't like them, but you can't get away from the news media or whatever. <laughs> and we won't and mention
1: any particular no names. names or anything like that.
0: <laughs> it seems like everybody has one. I, yeah, I would say start with the self and, and then try to give that person who just drives you up the wall. Send them compassion and do it for maybe a week. I know that may sound like a long time, but even with one practice, even with one 20-minute session, you may notice a shift in your stress levels.
1: Yeah, yeah. And sometimes yeah. that person is the same person, yeah. <laughs> the person that you love the most and the person who irritates to you the most <laughs> often. Yep. Okay, that's... so then yellow zone. What's your um, favorite yellow zone, which so... would be just kind of chronic stress, like road rage or something or... Well, road uh, rage can be rageful so i guess Road that.
0: road rage can go into yeah. red zone yeah, yeah. yeah. yes <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> i would say if you're having some road rage do some paced breathing <laughs> yes. um but the uh the favorite my favorite one in yellow is one that i came up with and okay. it's something that i did my i have done myself my whole life but i never formalized it uh until i started writing this and thinking about it it popped in my head one day and uh, i call it the battery technique And Mm -hmm. I've done it with patients who found some great techniques, some great relief. Um, That's what I love about all these techniques is that you can do them very quickly with little training, if if Mm -hmm. not at all.
1: Mm -hmm. So pretend and just show me as if I'm that person. Okay. Okay.
0: Well, it's good to do uh, just in general, I I think. Um, But it works in the yellow zone. I got my pen. So, so, yep, you take your pen and you write a negative on your left hand. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you take the pen and uh, write a positive oh, on your already right hand. I'm using
1: both sides of my brain.
0: Yep, there you go. All right, so negative, positive. So what you do is you hold the pen between the two. And you and call this the
1: battery technique?
0: This is the battery because you're charging your battery right now. You're connecting positive and negative. Okay. So right now you're charging your battery positive and negative. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you're doing now when you're charging is to look at your thoughts and Mm -hmm. assess the environment of the mind and get a sense of what is the general uh, uh, thoughts are they positive negative or neutral okay so right now for example um it's my day off and we're having a great conversation so i'm gonna put the pen in the positive hand i'm really happy about that i'm having so much fun talking to you and this is great so i put the pen in the right hand yeah so um are you breathing or you're just noticing your okay you're just noticing your thoughts thoughts. that's all you're doing so this is kind of my my brain is kind of in a pleasant pleasant state so this is great to be in the pleasant positive state now the thing about this is it's good but some people just live here all the time and they never notice it they never sit here and contemplate i'm having a good day Uh they just sit here in positivity so this is some place where for example my my three-year-old with an ice cream cone she's happy as a clam But she never clearly like sits in the moment and savors and appreciates it. Mm -hmm. So you're happy and you know it.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) You know, you won't want to be judging your mind. It's Mm -hmm. not like you want to say, oh, I'm so negative. What a terrible person I am. That's not the goal at all. The Mm -hmm. goal is to be reflecting on it. So you want, you can be negative as long as you're aware you're negative. I think Mm -hmm. some people are negative and they don't know it. They Mm -hmm. just sit here and stew and stew and stew. And they never like think about, oh, My mind state is really negative right now. Mm -hmm. There's a possibility of putting it over here.
1: So after a while, you have to say to yourself, how could I put it in my right hand? Is there anything I could put? Okay.
0: Yep. And that's your choice. So. yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I have a friend whose dad just died. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a person who is 100% positive all the time. Mm -hmm. But right now she's in negative. Mm -hmm. But that's not a bad thing. It's perfectly reasonable. And you want to honor that as
1: well. So it's just like Um, an awareness exercise.
0: It's an awareness exercise, and that's why it's more about being the battery and charging.
1: Mm -hmm. So you
0: can be positive, you can be negative. What's important is that you have the awareness of it and that you're looking at your thoughts. So that way you can better understand and see it clearly.
1: Mm -hmm. So you have more clarity. And then eventually you may want to say, is there a way to go more positive or something like that? Yeah. Yep. Okay, yep. awesome. Great exercise. I love it. And I know you're a big proponent of tapping, right? Oh, yeah, of tapping. It's the emotional freedom technique, right? Yes. yes. I I tend to think of it as something I, I you know, I tried it a couple of times. Um I think somebody in my doctor's office had a group where we did it. Uh, it feels to me like you're going to acupressure points and you're basically um maybe Stimulating the cortical brain where you're having that motor sensory input, right? And so you kind of distract away from whatever that distressing thought is, because you're physically tapping yourself. You're you're innervating all these neurons, mm-hmm. and you're activating parts of your brain.
0: Yeah, I'm told that it sends a calming signal to the like the amygdala and the limbic system. Uh, is is how that actually sends that calming. Tech, it sends calming to that area so that instead of that kind of amygdala midbrain firing and really acting up with the thoughts, you can then use that kind of more prefrontal cortex and rational brain thinking to to think through any problem and to see mm-hmm. that clearly as well.
1: Which, of course, for people who don't know the amygdala, which I think a lot of people who are listening probably do, but that's where your fear center is and that's where your mm-hmm. overreaction is. And it could mm-hmm. save your life, but sometimes it's just overreacting with stress Mm-hmm. So, do you want to lead us through like one minute of tapping?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, my awesome. coacher, my my coach, my teacher, Jill, Dr. Jill Weiner. Um, she is the one I go to, and she does my my coaching. So I will do a uh, <laughs> an homage to her. I'll say. Oh, nice! Okay. By doing this, so maybe what she'll you come on our podcast. Oh, she's fantastic! Okay, uh, she taught me Vedic meditation. Our conscious that's what I meditation. do also. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. that's It's very powerful.
1: Yes. Yes. A Vedic yeah. meditation is basically a mantra meditation.
0: Well, I, I started with mindfulness meditation first. Yeah, I love then... mindfulness. I love yeah. John
1: Kabat-Zinn. I hope he comes oh. on my podcast at one point. His voice um, got me through some of the toughest times in my life. Oh, yeah. But even now, like he had this free um, lunchtime meditation during, when COVID just started up. Mm-hmm. and it was so calming for me to just to listen to his voice yeah he's so practical I, he just speaks what you're thinking
0: yeah you know? oh i, so, I yeah, hear mindfulness you mindfulness i love yeah yeah um all right so okay so tapping um yeah you start with but you start this this is the karate chop point
1: point. and we're tapping the side of our hand the fleshy part beneath our pinky
0: so with tapping you basically hit different spots you start with the karate chop point you're in my case, I'm taking my right to my left side of my left hand to the pinky, which is my fingertips. Mm hmm. And with this, you say something like, even though I'm really stressed out right now,
1: even though I'm really stressed out right now.
0: I love and accept myself. I love
1: and I accept myself.
0: Even though there's a lot of stress in my life right now, even
1: though there's a lot of stress in my life right now.
0: I love and accept I myself. love
1: and I accept myself.
0: Things are really stressful for me right now. Things
1: are really stressful for me right now.
0: And I love and accept myself. And I
1: love and I accept myself.
0: And then from here, you go to the top of the head and you start tapping.
1: And it doesn't matter. Then you then said you say, which hand you're starting to tap with.
0: Yep. So. You can do both. Oh, you can do both. You can do just so one. So you don't want to do this in you public, can do both.
1: really. You kind of want to go to the it, bathroom. It looks a little funny. <laughs> so you're yeah, tapping when the top I of your head.
0: Yep, when I first did this, I was like, what are you having me do here? This is craziness. (laughs) (laughs) Tap the top of your head. And then you say,
1: I'm stressed. I'm stressed. I'm really stressed. I'm really stressed.
0: And then you go to the next spot, which is like the inside of your eyebrow. And then you tap there. I use my middle two fingers. Oh, that feels good. So, yeah. I say, I'm so stressed right now. I'm
1: so stressed right now.
0: And then you move pretty quickly to the outside of your Mm -hmm. eyebrow. Things are stressful right now. Things are
1: stressful right now.
0: And then you move quickly to the under Mm -hmm. the eye, like just on the cheek, kind of just under the eye there. Things are stressful right now. Things are
1: stressful right now. It's true.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then under the nose, uh, just above the the lip. Mm hmm. Parthenoprenulum. Say, I'm really stressed. I'm really stressed. And then you go to the chin, just below the lip. I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out. And then you go to the chest, kind of like it's its just to the left of the sternum, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, just shy of the maneuvering. Okay. So you just kind of like tap it with like your knuckles mm-hmm. and then say, I am super stressed, I right, am now. Super stressed super right now. COVID is super stressful. Yeah. I am so stressed. I am right so
1: now. stressed right now.
0: And then you go to kind of the side here um, and it's kind of easier just to kind of bang it with like a okay. fist. Um, Kind of in the front, like your interaxillary line, mm-hmm.
1: right down the middle of your <laughs> armpit.
0: Right, yeah, and then say things are super stressful. Things right are now.
1: super stressful right now, and I feel funny. And you can go back a-
0: up. <laughs> yep. It, it, okay. It is, yep. And then
1: back to the head. And then you
0: just kind of go back up to the top. Yep, and say I'm stressed out about getting sick.
1: I'm so stressed about getting sick.
0: I'm stressed about what's going on in this country right now. And
1: tap the eyebrow. I'm so stressed about what's going on in this country right now and in the world.
0: Mm -hmm. On the outer eyebrow, eyebrow. I'm stressed about what might happen to the economy. I'm
1: stressed about the economy.
0: Under the eye. I'm stressed about the effect it's having on my family. I'm
1: stressed about the effects on my family.
0: And then under the nose. I'm stressed about every time I leave the house, about do I have
1: my mask? I'm stressed about leaving the house and COVID. Mm-hmm.
0: And then under the thing here. I'm stressed about when will all this be over?
1: Tapping on my chin. I'm stressed about when will this be over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: and then over and then over, over on, my the again. Um, on the collarbone. I'm stressed Okay. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of under your collarbone just yep. And then I'm just stressed about so many things, and it feels overwhelming.
1: I feel overwhelmed about all the uncertainty
0: mm-hmm. And then said, so I'm just crazy overwhelmed. I'm and, crazy overwhelmed. and I'm super stressed. I'm super stressed. okay. And then you go, take a breath in. And then you reassess how you feel. So it's interesting that really you really had...
1: keep reminding yourself how stressed you are. <laughs> But but as you're tapping it, Mm -hmm.
0: well, the thing is, as you're tapping, what you're bringing out is what exactly are you stressed about? Because sometimes it's hard to label it and it's hard to put it into words. Mm -hmm. And that's what tapping helps you do is it sends a calming signal to those fear areas of the brain so that you can better see clearly, oh, I'm stressed about the economy. I'm stressed about my family. I'm stressed about X, Y, Z but as you think about them, you're not stressed stating them. So you can say them, but with less cortisol levels rising.
1: I see, so you're training yourself to be able to withstand all those negative thoughts and worries and not Mm -hmm. have that physiological response. As high. Exactly, yep. Okay, so just to recap.
0: So you do karate chop, head, body, and then back to head. Okay,
1: so karate chop, head, inside of the eyebrow, outside the eyebrow under the eye under your nose your chin under your collarbone and then the side of your body Mm -hmm. and And then then back back to the the head okay great and you know Mm -hmm. what maybe we can have a little pdf that they can download oh yeah well
0: it's in my book it's in my book
1: that's true yeah your book (laughs) uh stress relief survival and you guys can buy it on amazon and and then i also have a digital course oh okay awesome awesome Yeah. yeah So, Leslie, what books and resources inspire you? Do you have any favorites that you can tell us about?
0: I have so many books that inspired me and resources. Um, yeah, I'm always reading books. I'm always listening to podcasts. I'd say the top podcast I love to listen to on a regular basis right now uh-huh. is the RX Pill podcast, which is wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: of course. Of I course it's it. a great podcast. I love you, Leslie. <laughs> um And I listen to uh, 10% Happier (laughs) podcast uh, with Dan Harris. I listen to The Life Coach School with Brooke Castillo. Um, Those are some of the top ones Mm -hmm. I've been listening to. Oh, um, On Purpose with Jay Shetty. That's another one I really love. Uh, Oh, books. Let's see. Favorite books. I am currently reading uh, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Nice. Uh, What else am I reading? I just finished Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. Uh, Oh, and a big shout out to I just gave this book to my husband um, is uh, You Are Worth It by Kyle Carpenter. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was a Medal of Honor recipient who jumped on a grenade and his story is very inspiring. So,
1: yeah, I really love inspiring.
0: (laughs) Well, I just get what I can from other people. I just I find inspiration through so many different avenues and and just everywhere I go um, I just well, try to I, can, find I can
1: feel your compassion towards all all other people and I see on your posts and you try to help people so much so deeply so I'm really grateful to you as a fellow physician also because I've recognized especially during this crisis the pandemic how amazing doctors are like most doctors that I know, and, you know, sometimes we get a bad rap because we're yeah. rushed or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. But all the doctors I know want to help. Of course. Really. I mean, like, I know there's there could be a couple of bad eggs out there. I'm not talking about right. that. But just in general, like yeah. 99.99% of doctors just want to give advice and help people. Oh, gosh. It's, yeah. It's just an amazing community, you know, and it
0: is. Yeah. And, and you know, in my line of work, I often want to spend as much time as I can with the patients. But um, I get interrupted all the time. I have a phone call to go to or a critical patient is coming in and someone's telling me their life story. And I have to say, sorry, I I can't listen anymore. I have another patient that's apparently not breathing.
1: I so, know. I have to step
0: out and and I know that's cutting that patient short, but um I think every physician would love to have more time, but we're that's one of the things that's so stressful being a doctor is we're squeezed for time and Beyond we're being limits. told right we're being told raise your uh, relative value units, you yeah, know, RV if you use. don't do this. Mm-hmm. Right, if you don't get good patient satisfaction scores, you're not going to get, you know, your bonus this year. And or... it's
1: ridiculous. My my friend, who's the most amazing doctor, got a decreased uh, rating because somebody was complaining about the parking lot. Right. Yes. And it and it Completely feeds unrelated. into the doctor's <laughs> review. And, I was yeah, so shocked.
0: Right, but it's things like that that really burn us out of this career and this yeah. profession that we love and we work so hard to get. But somehow these completely unrelated things are causing us so much burnout and stress.
1: Yeah. And but I mean, um, most doctors are amazing, helpful. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Super smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What's your go-to right now? Like when you fly off the handle, right now? Like what would you mm-hmm. do? Give us uh, a little glimpse into how you would manage.
0: Uh, well i've spent a lot of time meditating on my intense emotions mm-hmm. uh i think that to know what to do in the moment you need to do a lot of personal introspection mm-hmm. on the off time like it, it's kind of like in the moment is not the time to learn um it's kind of like you know you don't want to learn to fly the minute you get thrust in the, co- in, the in the cockpit <laughs> you know you want to study before you step into the cockpit and the same thing is true with intense emotions so um since i've done that work, uh, uh, in the moment, what I do is for me, I recognize my anger and I feel it physically. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I know what stress zone I'm in. Um, and so I recognize I'm getting stressed. I can feel my heart rate, my heart rate rising. My skin is flushing. Uh, I want my voice to rise and yell. Uh, I can feel the tension in my neck. So I recognize the physical signs of my stress Mm -hmm. going from, you know, yellow to orange to red. And so those are the physical signs. And then what I do often is if I recognize I'm in red, I'll do the breathing Mm -hmm. first. And then I'll kind of slow down into, there's another technique in the orange where I'll say something like in the here, in the here, in the now, in the now, Mm. um, and just kind of think that to myself. Mm -hmm. And that gives you that moment of pause Mm -hmm. uh, to really be present in the situation. And usually by then, and then I can think back to the battery technique, Okay. I, this is and by now I'm like noticing my thoughts even more, and I think, okay, how can I do something good with this? Mm-hmm. So I kind of run through all the techniques really quickly, sort of and that's like because a circuit <laughs> training. It is, uh-huh. yeah. So. <laughs> And then, and then by then, I recognize. But the thing is, some of the emotions are still there. Like my anger yeah. may be at a level ten. Mm. And what I do is I mentally visualize putting that anger in a suitcase and setting it aside. Mm. So it's not like my I anger you're is you going to say setting it in flames? Setting it in flames? <laughs> yeah, oh, that would be
1: <laughs> exploding no it with a what? What did you call it? The grenade? Oh, the RPG. Yeah, RPG. <laughs> 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 um so what like about that, when yeah. you do lose it? What do you do? You just you know that you can come back faster?
0: Oh yeah. Um it's funny because when COVID happened and I that's really what triggered me to write the book was mm-hmm. I, I, I saw the need. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I that was the first time I realized that I had done all these things for so long and helped other people with them. Yeah. And I got quarantined, uh, because oh, yeah. I got exposed to a patient. So I I recognized everybody in the world is stressed out right now. I can't be the only one. So mm-hmm. I started writing it all down and then it just wrote itself. Wow. Yeah. Um. So that's when I, I don't know, I kind of just always did these things. And I recognized after I went back to work that everyone was still extremely stressed. Mm-hmm. And I recognized that pretty quickly I was more my more laid back self while well, everyone was still coming into work pissed off, angry, scared, mm-hmm. and then scared through their whole shift. And I was like, I'm
1: I'm over this. You're still worried?
0: <laughs> you know? And it wasn't like a, I'm better than you. It was right. more like I recognized that the techniques had been doing me good, like and through so this whole time. And so every
1: day, do you sit down for 20 minutes and do the Vedic meditation? What do you do? What's your routine?
0: Uh, yeah. Well, as much as I can, I try to wake up and do the meditation as soon mm-hmm. as I wake up. Um, and then at work, sometimes I'll find a lull here or there. Since mm-hmm. I do work nights, there's sometimes like at a four in the morning, I'll be able to do it. Um, if not, I'll try to do it in my car before I leave mm-hmm. work. Uh, so and I'll also do just do those there.
1: short little mini ones, right? Like the box breath, the four right. count breath. Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: yep. Um, whenever I wash my hands at work, I do the "May you be happy, may you be healthy" towards the patient I just saw
1: i love that yeah the washing the hands with that that's great mm-hmm. and so it. i'll
0: say that twice and i'll be thinking about the patient i just saw you know mm-hmm. the patient room 10 who's here for chest pain may be happy maybe okay healthy. i love yeah, it so i i do that while washing my hands
1: and um, now what would you tell your younger self if you could tell your teenage self what would you tell her so that she could enjoy life more and mm-hmm. worry less
0: yeah, I told them to do that meditation the, <laughs> with a compassion, like really. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: no, I, I'm laughing because, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah seems I, like, <laughs> it seems like a, a super power, but it is. It's so right. simple, but it's so powerful, right?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think my teenage self would have ever understood that uh, the power of these techniques. So, how
1: would you explain to that teenage self who would never understand it? How would you explain mm. it to her so you can convince her?
0: Well, I was always into science, uh-huh. and one thing that I uh, really love is this, this explanation I heard recently about um, systole versus diastole, where the heart is literally the organ that keeps us alive mm-hmm. uh, every second of every day. You know, the heart stops, and then everything else quits. I mean, the mm-hmm. brain as well, but the heart kind of is constantly working, the yes. whole thing. And uh, But the heart rests two-thirds of the time. So 66% of the time, the heart is resting. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that the heart has figured this out, but <laughs> I didn't until lately. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you need to so, rest, let yourself You be. need
0: You need to pay attention. You need to fill yourself up. That's uh-huh. what the heart does when it's resting, is
1: it's filling up. And you said and- systole, diastole. So systole is when your heart's squeezing all the blood out and it's contracted. And diastole when it's, is when the muscles relax and it fills back up with blood. Right. So what Leslie is talking about is that diastole... Where mm-hmm. the heart relaxes and allows itself to fill back up, right? And that's sixty six percent. Sixty six Is it sixty six percent? I didn't know that. Yeah, it's two thirds okay. of the cardiac cycle.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. So I mean, it shortens when you get more tachycardic, but then you get bad filling.
1: Um, <laughs> so you <we> can. <laughs> that's all a great, cardiac... That's a great analogy. I love it.
0: Yeah. 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 So the faster you go, the less you fill. Uh uh-huh. um, And then, but you know, if you have just chronic tachycardia. Mm-hmm the heart gets overwhelmed and that leads to chronic states that are not Mm -hmm. good. So I think with my younger self, I felt the need to like, well, if I want to be a doctor and if I want to be pre-med, I have to go, 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 go all the time. And I have to achieve everything all the time. And it got me to a point where I was pushing myself so hard that I did burn out here and there. And I did have times where I just wasn't happy and it doesn't have to be that way. If you just remember like the literal heart has figured this out, the literal heart that works 24 seven even then it rests 66% of the time. So in any given day, try to give yourself as much time to fill as you can.
1: I love that one. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I teach a procrastination course for teens where I incorporate all the mindfulness and the meditation and all of the science. And I talk about the good procrastination, which is basically what they call diffuse mode of thinking and learning, where you actually have to relax in order for your brain to make connections between Things that are not usually connected, like maybe you make a connection between art and science, Mm -hmm. you know, so that creativity and then also um, to deepen that that learning, you need this diffuse mode. And that is that exactly what you're talking about, the the relaxation.
0: I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: So there is a good procrastination. Oh, good. Good to know, because that's one of my flaws is procrastination. Oh, oh no. Yeah, we all do it. (laughs) All right. So what about for your girls? What do you wish for them? If you could wish for them anything as far as mental agility and resilience, what would you I, give them? What tools would you give them? Obviously, uh, all the tools in your book. Right.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. I would give them that. I would also give them the confidence to to put themselves first and, and to chase happiness. Um, mm. I would hope that throughout their lives, they become very, uh, they, they, they become masters of themselves, and have that grit, that self reliance, to the point that um, they're happy with themselves, and they don't seek validation from other people that they know their own mm-hmm. worth
1: in of themselves. How do you define confidence? How would you exercise confidence? I've been thinking a lot about confidence. That's why I'm asking you.
0: <laughs> That's a really great question. Uh, how do you exercise confidence? meaning?
1: How do you strengthen your ability? Because I think confidence is also a skill. You know, mm-hmm. and confidence comes yeah. with basically repetition. So you're never going yeah, to feel confident when you first fly a plane or or drive. a What did you drive a boat <laughs> in the Navy? Uh, no, okay. I not a boat. <laughs> really? I would think you'd have to drive no. a boat if you're in the Navy.
0: <laughs> I was with the Marines more than anything else, actually.
1: <laughs> I know more about the Marine Corps than I do about oh, the Navy. interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. mean... To get confident at anything, you have to practice first and get over I think, all of that sort of beginners. Yeah, I, I think know.
0: I think um, learning to fail is a big part of that mm-hmm. and and learning the lessons in that failure, but picking yourself up again. I think that is where confidence really becomes strengthened. Um, mm-hmm. So and not
1: and not thinking of failure as something negative.
0: Oh, gosh. No. Yeah. Yeah, I recently like, heard something about um, celebrate failure every day. And and I love that because it, it means you're getting out of your comfort zone. It means you're striving and stretching yourself and becoming more than what you are now. Because if you're never failing, you're only in your comfort zone. And you're not you're not growing.
1: Yeah, I mean, literally, you're not learning something new. Because right. when you're learning something new, you fail. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> you know, you don't do it immediately. It's,
0: yeah, yeah. And that feeling of insecurity, you know, I mean, I, I put together this digital course, and I didn't know what I was doing at any stage of the game. There were definitely times where I felt like overwhelmed. And I, I did something that didn't work, <laughs> and it was failing and failing. And finally, I figured it out. Uh-huh. And it was a tough lesson, but I learned it. Uh, it's it's just, it's my passion uh, to just constantly be better. And now I'm just trying to do what I can to serve others through what I've learned. And that's just kind of what I'm trying to do with with a book, with a digital course, is to, you know, I, I learned all these lessons the hard way,
1: and I hope that other people don't have to. <laughs> I feel so. like your kids are lucky because you're going to give them all these things. And maybe they're not, they might not seem like they're listening to, sometimes, but just remember they are. <laughs> they are. It's funny when they suddenly start meditating
0: and I'm like, oh, you watched mommy do that. Okay.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for everything you're doing, Leslie. I really appreciate you in this time of division. And I love that I can talk to you and connect with you in this way. And you're all the way out in Nebraska, Mm -hmm. where I would love to visit sometime.
0: No, you're welcome anytime. And I'm so happy to connect with you. I mean, it's um just just wonderful with the work that you're doing and I mean you what you do is so amazing with kids and with your podcast and just with your work it's so inspiring and I I'm just honored to be talking to you and to connect
1: with you. I have my and, pen uh, in my right hand cuz oh, I feel great. positive. Yeah, yeah. I love all the positive. Big hugs, Leslie. Yeah, Thank you, you again for your amazing presence. <laughs> that was fun. Loved every minute. Oh, thank you so much. No,
0: me too. It was such a pleasure.
1: That was Dr. Leslie Koenig, author of Stress Relief Survival Guide. You can find it on Amazon and you can find out more about Leslie and her digital courses on stressreliefsurvivalguide.com. For additional resources and tips you can download from this episode, check the show notes on my website, mindbodyspace.com. Dot com. Just a reminder that stress management, positive psychology, and meditations are all absolutely helpful and really important part of becoming resilient for long-term goals. However, it is definitely not the standard treatment of choice in a- acute situations. It should always be used in conjunction with mental health professionals and physicians so that the whole person can be taken care of. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can email me at podcast at mind bodyspace.com until next time this is dr juna signing off wishing you and your loved ones wellness